Welcome everyone to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revolution got a much needed victory with a 3-0 win over New York City FC Sunday night at Gillette Stadium. They got goals from all the usual places. John Bell in the 12th minute, Noel Buck with his first MLS goal in the 33rd minute, and of course, fan favorite, Tom McNamara, 66th minute, a 3-0 solid win over New York City FC, giving them much, much needed three points after a very disappointing start to the homestand. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today is Chris Lucas. Chris, how are you doing? Greg, you know what? Revs picked up three points. It's Labor Day. I have the day off work. My birthday is coming up. It's on Tuesday. Revs are in playoff position. My ducks are laying eggs and Petrovic is buying more donuts. Everything's, you know, coming up. Mealhouse. Mealhouse? I don't even know what that phrase is, but regardless, it's a fantastic day. I'm doing great. I have not much to complain about at the moment, so it should be a a fun, positive, uplifting podcast, I think, right? How about you? How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great, and you started us off with a really good Simpsons reference. I think you've you've just heard me say that phrase before, and you don't know where it's from, but yes, everything's coming up Millhouse. Millhouse. Uh, This is a very strong start to the podcast, and hopefully we can carry this strong start through the rest of the podcast like the Revs did last night. Um, Much needed three win, three points. Um, We didn't do a podcast following Chicago, the the draw against Chicago on Wednesday, and I'll I'll complain about that a little bit. But for the most part, we're going to have our vibes being uh, immaculate and positive throughout this this thing because we're in a really good mood today. So, um, Chris, why don't we get to our key takeaways? And our key takeaways are brought to you by The Rebellion. Please go learn more about them at nerebellion.org and... And even if you're not a member of the Rebellion, be sure to go check out the upcoming tailgate on September 17th. The Rebellion will be having a Canadian food tailgate for the Montreal game. Of course, poutine and maple syrup dessert will be provided. All food, by the way, is going to be made by local businesses. Thank you to the Rebellion for partnering with this podcast. Chris, get let's get to your uh, key takeaway presented by the Rebellion. Yeah, let's go. Uh Basically, what I'm taking away is that the Revs finally played like a team uh, that needs a win. Obviously, they've been needing a win now for several matches in a row and uh, keep falling flat. And it's just been disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And uh, finally coming away with three points and not only three points. It was a dominating scoreline as far as that three points goes. If you want to look at the, the, the actual stats of the game, it doesn't look like it was a dominating performance. But the Revs did everything that they needed to do. They put the ball in the net. They finished their chances. Uh, and they came away with three points against rival New York City. Um, so finally showing a little bit of that urgency. And once they got it started, you know, getting some goals on the scoreboard, they played a smart game. They didn't allow New York City to convert any of their many chances into into a point on the other side. A lot of that, of course, going to thanks to Georgie Petrovich, but a lot of that also is just you know the the Revolution playing smart and and really limiting quality chances. Uh, for New York. So great to see. Uh, my takeaway is, yeah, they're finally playing like a, like the team that we needed to see uh, a month, month and a half ago. Um, and hopefully it just keeps rolling, especially as guys start getting healthy. But yeah, that's my takeaway for, for uh, last night's match. How about you? Well, I, I just want to touch on that real quick too, because I think if you look at the expanded stats here, expected goals, New York City FC uh, 2.12, New England Revolution 0.41. Normally, you look at an expected goal difference of over you know one and a half, approaching two. Boy, that that's probably a very one-sided game. But I think you're right. The Revs made the most of their opportunities. They did the little things. Um, they were a little bit sharper in certain areas. Uh, the Tommy McNamara goal specifically. Dewan Jones is getting credited for an assist there, but that really had no business being put away. But Tommy McNamara had you know, some really good awareness and really did a great job hustling to that ball and getting there and and putting a shot on frame. Um, You know, he's not the fastest person in the world, but you know, sometimes instincts and being a veteran player really comes into play there. So um, yeah, I I think they did the little things right, which is something they haven't been doing all season long. And, you know, I, I think defensively, I wasn't too thrilled with some of these saves that Petrovic had to make, um, but he kept him off the board and as I say, I think they really forced New York City to, you know, put their best foot forward. And that wasn't good enough because Petrovic really had a phenomenal night. So we'll get to Petrovic in a little bit. We're going to shower some praise on him. But um, agreed wholeheartedly. Um, it seems like there was a lot of fight in this game and um, a lot of people really stepped up, which they really, really needed. 
Uh, my key takeaway presented by The Rebellion. Please go check out their Canadian food tailgate made by local businesses on September 17th. Uh, my key takeaway is actually going to be a retrospective key takeaway because I didn't get to do what everyone's been waiting for all year long, Chris. Uh, I, di- I didn't get to hit the panic button. Uh, and so I, I just wanted to say that the panic button has been hit. The Chicago game was very concerning. I know the Revs had some chances. I know that shot from Damian Rivera should have gone in. I am well aware that, uh, you know, they, they were the stronger team on the night, but really didn't seem to have a lot of urgency. I think that Chicago game was a really, really, really big must-win game. And ultimately, I think that's going to be a loss that's going to end up hurting them in the end. I was fully expecting to come here today to complain about a draw or a win. So I know that complaining after a uh, win over a playoff team seems a little weird. Uh, but there's still a lot of concerns with this team in my mind. Uh, you still have these injuries with Vrioni, uh, with Barrero, with Tajori Shradi. Um, we're not sure what impact they're going to have when they return. Um, Vrioni and Barrero potentially coming back soon. That's the word on the street. Um, Tajori Shradi, I'm not so sure about. I wouldn't be shocked to see. Wouldn't be shocked if we don't see him uh, this season. But ultimately, we're down to, what, six games and Bruce has to juggle a lot of balls in the air right now and getting these guys healthy and getting this lineup fit going into the season. So I do see some comparisons to the 2020 season where the Revs got hot at the right time. Carlos Hill came back. They got hot. They went into the playoffs. They're a team that nobody wanted to face. And I think Matt Doyle made a comment yesterday that, you know, the Revs are a team that could be positioned for a playoff run if they get healthy, but there's really not a lot of time to get healthy. And that's really just assuming they make it into the playoffs. You don't have one or two games to try out certain things or to get people ready or, or as a, as a fine tuning thing. Um, six games left. The Revs right now sitting in seventh place with 38 points. FC Cincinnati has a game in hand on you. Um, and they also have 38 points. Inter Miami has a game in hand on you. They're sitting at 36 points. I know we have a game in hand on Toronto at 34 points. Toronto dropped a really, really big, game against Montreal yesterday, which, you know, big, big shout out to Montreal for, for helping us out there. But, um, you know, there are some teams in new England's rear view mirror and can they catch up to Columbus at 40 points with uh, 28 games, the game in hand. I don't know about that. Are they going to catch up to Orlando city? Who's at 42 points also with a game in hand on new England. Um, I'm not sure. So there is a lot of things going against the revolution right now. And I think the Chicago game that they dropped two points to on Wednesday, and then, you know, one or three points dropped to the galaxy on Sunday. I think coming away with four points in this homestand is a really, really bad sign. Uh, Just mathematically, it's a really, really big concern for this team. So I'm glad they got three points. uh, But, you know, I, I know there's some cliches that when things aren't going your way, everything is a must win game, but I mean, if the Revs, in order for them to get up to 47, 48 points, they're going to need nine or 10 points in these last six games. And that's that's going to be a really, really tough ask. And they're going to need to be scoreboard watching and may, hope these teams behind them don't catch up. Yeah. And quick clarification, too. It's five games remaining for the Revs. So uh, even more panic uh, for you there, Greg. But yes, uh, I, I did not major in math. I apologize. I, I'm reading a lot of 28s on the standings, uh, and, and I know there's 34 games left. And even though I said they have a game in hand, they have a game in hand, they have a game in hand, my brain didn't process that the Revs <laughs> have one fewer game than everyone else. So I apologize for my stupid. That's fine. That's fine. But the, I mean, looking ahead at the schedule, there is a little bit of reprieve where the Revs are going to play Chicago for the last game of the season. Uh, that I'm expecting that game is probably going to have a lot of implications as to whether or not the revs are able to uh, see postseason soccer this year. Uh, and that's going to be, like I said, in, I don't know if I said it actually, but in Chicago. So uh, who knows what, what that's going to entail, but I assume Chicago is probably going to be out of the playoff picture at that point. Uh, other than that, the revs are going to Houston, which are the second worst team in MLS this season, uh, traveling to Texas, never been friendly for the revs, but hopefully, uh, facing a, a weak Houston side this season is going to be just what the revs need. Um, and then they have Atlanta United at home on uh, what's that October 1st. Um, and so those three matches right there, I'm looking at and I'm thinking should probably be able to come away with three points there. Other than that, Montreal coming to coming to new England on September 17th, that's going to be a really hard game. If you can grind out one point there, then this New York Red Bulls game on September 10th doesn't necessarily matter as much. Um, but I'm looking and I'm saying there's points to take in these remaining five games. Yes, I am worried the panic button is out there and I have hit it as well. Um, but I'm also seeing 
a path for the revs. And as long as I can continue to get healthy, maybe Nacho Heel comes in and he's the savior that everyone needs. Uh, and this team completely turns around. I, who knows? But I think as long as the team continues to get healthy, uh, grind out performances like they did against New York City, uh, find a way to win, make sure they are opportunistic with their chances. Um, this team can can be playing postseason soccer, but it's it's an uphill battle right now. And like you said, there's teams in, that are in the rearview mirror that have games in hand that uh, can easily pass the revs. So it's nice to be sitting in a playoff spot right now as we're talking, but uh, anything can happen. Uh, and Cincinnati nipping at the revs heels, by the way, they are playing New York City uh, on Wednesday night. Um, so that's going to be a very interesting match to watch. Um, I'll be probably staying up a little late to watch that one, um, seeing how that unfolds. Obviously, a lot of implications towards uh, the revs, the revs playoff hopes. But I think I derailed your takeaway a little bit. But overall, panic button is has been pressed by me as well. So I think uh, all around we're we're in panic mode. Yeah, Cincinnati they play New York City FC Wednesday, so we'll have a better idea of where this team's playoff chances stand um, following that game but they play San Jose at home they play Real Salt Lake on the road um, they play Seattle at on the road I, I bet that's going to be a tough game I know this has not been the best year for for Seattle but then they play home against Chicago and then they play on the road at DC United I mean that's not the hardest schedule in the world and you look at the revs I, I mean again who, who knows you know this goes game by game but I just look at the Chicago game and that was really the game that determined whether or not you controlled your own destiny and you didn't have to scoreboard watch. In my opinion, um, they, they do go to Chicago at the end of the season and, and hypothetically Chicago is not going to be playing for anything. So maybe Slonina is not playing in that game. Uh, maybe with him on his way out, they're giving someone else a, a, a chance to play. Um, Atlanta United at home, they're probably going to be out of the playoff picture even Montreal at home on September 17th um, with the Rebellion tailgate uh, with uh, uh, the uh, poutine and maple syrup desserts uh, available at their tailgate. Uh, all are welcome. Um, that, I think, is going to be a, a pretty key game for them down the stretch. And because that's that's I don't know the Red Bulls game. I'm not expecting a ton from. I know that they're a playoff team and I know the Red Bulls are not the most difficult team in the world to face, but that's a tough game going to Houston, you know, midweek traveling halfway across the country that strikes me as a trap game. Um, and yeah, I don't know. The next three games are just not great. And to, to rely on wins against Atlanta and Chicago. Um, I'm really concerned about the way that this is shaken out. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. There's definitely a lot of reasons to be concerned. I'm trying to be as optimistic as possible. We did say we're going to be positive, so I'm trying to throw it out there. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of reason for concern. So I don't know. One more thing, too. You touched on this. Are we seeing Nacho Heal this season? I feel like they just signed that for the lols. Um, five games left. I feel like there's other players you got to implement into the squad and rotate in. Um, I, Nacho Heal has not been in the game day squad at all, Chris. Um, right now, over under uh, 0.5 appearances for Nacho Heal on the Revs this season. I think I'll take the over. Um, I would say that there's a reason that, that Arena signed him. I think He's still waiting on his visa, or maybe he just finally got his visa. I can't remember exactly what the status is. I haven't been, uh, admittedly, I have not been following the the Nacho Hill saga uh, as closely as I'd like to. But yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd think Bruce brought him in for a reason. You know, there's players like Esmir playing right now who I think those minutes are probably going to go to um, a, a player of, including, uh, I'll throw Rivera in there as well, Esmir and Rivera. I think those players' minutes are probably going to go to Nacho Hill. Assuming, you know, that's why he was brought in here, a player with experience, a player that has played in competitive leagues, obviously not a player of the caliber of his brother. But, um, yeah, I, I would say over 0. 0.5 um, as long as there's no injuries. Yeah, um, I, I'd like to think at least we see more than 45 minutes out of him. I wonder if he's going to be thrown into the Chicago game, if the game's out of hand or may, maybe the Atlanta United game um, just to get him out on the field. But um yeah, still, still an interesting signing and the timing of that all. It was almost, I mean, my interpretation is they had an international roster spot. Um, they had some money to play with that would have gone to waste. They kind of just said, we'll, we'll bring in Nacho kind of as an extended trial. I believe they have a team option for him next year as well. Um, so, so maybe this is kind of more of a 2023 move also just to 
see how he kind of meshes in with the team. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. That's an interesting, weird little hitch um, that that I feel like people have kind of forgotten about. That Nacho Heel is uh, apparently going to be coming in and helping out the Revs. So I mean, I forgot about it. I had uh, I, I saw someone tweet about Nacho Heel. Uh, a few days ago and i was like oh that's right i forgot that happened um but it's been quiet because he was waiting on his visa so i mean hopefully that's all sorted out again i haven't heard any updates i know bruce was saying that he hoped that he would be with the team this past weekend i didn't see him uh on the broadcast anywhere i didn't hear anything about him um so i, I don't know i don't know what that really means so maybe he's uh, finishing up some affairs back in spain um before before coming over hopefully he's got it i don't know i mean at, the revs need all the help they can get right now and i don't know what nacho can provide i, I literally have zero background on him so uh, uh, hopefully he comes in and makes an impact maybe maybe he makes an impact on the 17th against club de foot maybe nacho he'll gets his visa in time to attend the rebellion tailgate on september 17th right. so he can go check out the poutine and maple syrup desserts that are provided by local businesses I think the over under for the amount of times that you're going to plug that it would, I would have come in with a with a one and I would have gone with the under and I think you've already exceeded two so good job. You know what we take care of our sponsors here on Revolution Recap and that reminds me I want to talk to you for a second and talk about our sponsor Glosso Kits. Their mission is to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home with a catalog of jerseys, jackets, scarves, and more from clubs and national teams from over eighty countries in the world. Uh, they have merch for the Revolution. They have Arsenal merch for the Turner fans. Uh, they have Club Bruges stuff for the Tejan Buchanan fans. They have RC Lens stuff. For Adam Buxa fans, I believe RC Lenz uh, was in first uh, in League One for a little bit there. The Adam Buxa effect being felt over there in France. Uh, so whoever you support abroad or at home, Glosso Kits will have something that you want and need in your closet. And if you don't know what you want, you can check out their mystery kit packages where you enter in the size and the style of jersey you like. And Glosso will surprise you with the kit of your dreams. So go check out GlossoKits.com for their full selection right now. And make sure you follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Glosso Kits for updates on their new inventory. They have new videos every single week uh, of their the, the unboxing videos where they show you what just got into the shop. And when you find something you like, please use promo code REVSRECAP to save 15% off your order. That is promo code REVSRECAP at LossoKits.com for 50% off your order. Links and codes are in the show notes. And, you know, Lens is actually currently sitting in third right now in, in Ligue, 1, Ligue, Ligue 1. I don't know how to say it. I'm not French. Ligue 1. Um, <laughs> they're currently sitting in third, uh, and they are undefeated this season. Uh, four wins, two draws um, with a plus eight goal differential. So that's pretty good. And I think Adam Buxa is still not playing for them. I think he's still coming back working his way back from an injury. So as soon as he gets back, you can only imagine that gold differential is going to go to the moon. If I was an investor, I'd be buying stock and lens right now. If you can buy stock in them, I don't know. Adam Buxa, a great clubhouse guy, even when he is not on the field, just his presence makes the team better all the way around. That is, Hey, you know, what can you say about Adam Books? The second he left, you know, things started falling apart here. So we, we all thought it was his ability to head everything into the net uh, and to score goals at will. Uh, turns out just a great clubhouse guy. Yep, that's it. Chris, let's get to some listener questions here. Asher Blake says Petrovic was amazing as usual and his communication seems much improved, uh, which I agree with 100%, by the way. Uh, at this race, at this rate, I almost expect him to be sold around the end of next season. Actual question, does his impact so far say more about his skill or our goalie staff being able to transition him quickly? I meant to check this before uh, the episode. Pretty confident. Didn't I call this that he was going to be sold at the end of next season or, or the following season? Pretty sure I called it after the TFC game. I said that he's going to be sold for a, a record transfer fee. Uh, and I've seen more more and more people talking about it. Um, he doesn't seem to be a revolution player for long. He is making his impact very, very, very quickly. Uh, and, and so I agree with Asher here. I think that uh, Petrovic is, is going to be a revolution player for two, maybe three years here, um, but he's gonna, destined for, for bigger and better things. Um, but let's get to this question here. Does his impact say more about his skill or our goalie staff being able to transition him quickly? Chris, what are your thoughts? It, it says more about his skill. I mean, I think we have a fantastic goalkeeping staff here uh, in New England, but uh, Georgi Petrovic has spent no time at all with, with that goalkeeping uh, crew. I think um, if you want to talk about the communication, I don't know where to, where to point fingers for that. I just think Petrovic is just an unreal, unnatural goalkeeping talent. I don't know how the Revs got so lucky to find this player 
uh, and bring him in. And we all thought losing Turner was going to be the biggest loss uh, of the season. We all knew he was going. Uh, and we, we knew Buxo might be going. And we heard rumors that Tristison would be going. And we knew Buchanan was gone at the end of the last season. And we were all still looking. I mean, I was definitely for sure. I think others are with me that Matt Turner might be the biggest loss of the 2022 season. Who would have known that there was going to be Georgie Petrovich ste- stepping in his shoes? And in my opinion, I think he's outshined Matt Turner so far. Uh, it's It's been a short sample size, but holy crap. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. He recorded his seventh clean sheet of the season, by the way. It was his 16th MLS start, seventh clean sheet. Matt Turner never had more than six in a season with the Revs, just to show you um, how, how great he's been. And I don't have expected goals data in front of me, but I know that New York City FC had 2.12 expected goals yesterday, and they still got the shutout. So Matt Turner, it's kind of weird to think about. You sold a keeper to the Premier League for $7 million. He's reigning MLS keeper of the year. Probably should be the reigning two-time MLS keeper of the year. He's potentially the World Cup starter um, for the United States men's national team. And the Revs sold him midseason and potentially upgraded I'm only saying potentially because just because I think we're still talking about a small sample size, but 16 games is half a season. So yeah, I mean, I I think this has been an incredible find for the revolution. And I think it says a lot about his skill and his shot stopping ability. Um, As I say, I think we all kind of remember the union game where he came out and tried to punch that cross and missed it. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some moments um, where I, I think, you know, the language is still kind of giving him problems, but it seems like it's a little bit better too. I think his distribution needs a little bit work, but just in terms of natural skill, um, this guy has it a ton. And I, I think over time, he might be able to grow in those areas a little bit more and more. Um, and that's a credit to the, the, the goalkeeping staff, which again, Kevin Hitchcock is um, a phenomenal goalkeeping coach. Uh, it really helped out Matt Turner a ton. It seems like the Revs are able to just, um, make the most out of their goalkeeping. Uh, so I, I do think some credit belongs there, but I think Petrovic is just an absolute freak of nature. And, I, you know, he, he's probably here two or three years, as I said. It would not shock me if he wins goalkeeper of the year. Probably not this year because Andre Blake's having a great season. But, um, I mean, if there's a betting market of goalkeeper of the year next year, uh, I, I would put a pretty sizable bet on Petrovic. Yep, 100%. And I, I think Andre Blake is going to get it this year. And I think it's deserved for him, too. So I don't want to uh, take anything away from him. But yeah, um, just it, it it leaves me near speechless with how good uh, Georgia Petrovich has been and, and how unexpectedly uh, this happened. And you think there's been a lot of change and a lot of uh, miscommunication on the back line, um, just in general this season. And a lot of chances getting through that really should have been converted into goals and it's just time and time again Petrovic has just stood on his head um and you know it's it's a shame because he has a a 31 percent um winning percentage when he starts and it's crazy to see that low of a percentage and and granted some of those other what uh 68 percent are um are draws so it's not all like he's they're all losses, but it's crazy. Only 31% winning, uh, winning percentage over 16 matches that he's played in. Um, but of those 16 matches, seven clean sheets. It's it's just unreal. What what we're seeing right his now clean, is too much. Yeah, his clean sheet percentage is higher than his win percentage, which I think says a lot about the Revolution this season, just to say the least. So, uh, Jose Franchino Dino says, does Georgia have a legitimate chance to make the Serbian team for the World Cup? This is actually something that I was going to bring up probably without this question. So great minds think a lot, uh, Jose Franchino Dino. Uh, probably not. Um, the reason why is because Serbia only has three or four games left until the World Cup. They have two Nation League games against Sweden and Norway, and then they have one international friendly against Bahrain. Um I believe he has one cap, which seemed to be, I don't want to say a token call-up, uh, but just kind of seemed to be a call-up for in a friendly type of game, if I remember correctly. Um, so he hasn't really been tested in a competitive environment. And there's a handful of keepers for Serbia that are have been with the team throughout this World Cup cycle, uh, and they play for some pretty big teams, uh, Sevilla, Mallorca, Torino. Um, so there's a, a handful of 
guys ahead of them that have been integrated with the squad during this cycle. I would say he's going to be a very good prospect for the next one, though. So maybe he gets the call up for the Euros uh, for for whatever year that's going to be, what, 2024? Um, maybe he, he's going to be called up in the next cycle and get involved a little bit more there. But um, the goalkeepers in front of him, too, also age is kind of against him. Um, looking at age 30, 26, 25, 24, um, those are the ages of the four goalkeepers in front of him. Petrovic is 22. So um, he, he's definitely a prospect, I would say, for Serbia. But there is a talented keeper pool uh, in front of him. So I think it's a lot, a little too, too little too late for this cycle. Um, but I'd be curious to see if he cracks into the World Cup next time. And I imagine, too, he won't get a real legitimate look until he goes back to Europe, uh, just because Euro snobs look down on MLS. So, Chris, anything to add before I, I move on? That's kind of my take. Uh, now, I mean, he definitely doesn't have a chance this cycle, but. Um... Uh, to your to what you were saying, I think you know, come Euros or something like that, I think that he would have a chance. Um, I think despite the Euro snob uh, stigma, I think he still has a has a chance to get seen there as long as he's continuing on the trajectory that he's on right now. I think MLS has more of a um, a proven goalkeeper um, uh, output, I guess, and maybe not. Maybe I'm making that up, but. <laughs> Why not? Let's make things up. Um, it's Labor Day. Who cares? Um, but no, uh, generally, I, I think he's got a great shot. He's probably the best keeper I've ever seen in MLS, but it's such a small sample size. So I, I'm not saying he's the best ever, but uh, if he continues on this trajectory, yeah, I think there's nothing's going to really stop him. I think he's going to be one of the top keepers in the world if he continue, continues like this. He's only 22 years old, so I know you're saying age isn't working a, um, in his favor, as far as his uh, his compatriots there, but the the closest one was 24. There was uh, 24, 25, 26 uh, up against him. He's 22, so he's he's right in there. He's younger than those guys. There's a 30 year old in there that um, I don't know, Marco Dimitrovic. Well, Dimitrovic is is playing at Sevilla, so I mean we're talking about La Liga yeah. keepers, and so I I, I get it. I, I think he needs to go back to Europe though. I think to be seriously considered. Um, I think the move to MLS is a good one because certainly playing in the Serbian league, I don't think is going to raise his profile, but yeah, I think he needs to have a couple of solid seasons and then move abroad and, and kind of get his name in over there. So I'm curious to see if he does get more call-ups to the Serbian national team following the world cup. Cause that seems to be more likely of a time for new people to come in and, and get spot starts and to be integrated with the squad. I mm-hmm. think right now nation's league right before the world cup is really not a good time for it. So yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think euros is even that might be a bit of a stretch um, just cause I, I assume most of the time before the 2024 euros is going to be in MLS. And, and I just, I don't know. There seems to be a stigma involved with uh, major league soccer in Europe, but I mean, it's very possible that in 2026, we see him playing in the World Cup, either as a backup or as a starter um, on North American soil. So I'd I'd be very curious to see how his career goes. And if he's another player that looks at the World Cup and the international, you know, picture, and and that's, you know, he's one of the players that has to move abroad for that reason also. Because I feel like that was a big, big issue with Turner, Tejan, Books a little bit. I think Books always just wanted to go home, but Tejan and Turner definitely, I think, wanted to move abroad to kind of challenge themselves and, and really increase their standing for the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Duplicia says Petrovic, Buck, and T Mac, all man of the match. Uh, mans of the matches? Um, man of man, the match? Mans, mans of the match. All mans of the match. <laughs> uh, we needed three points. We got them. Good result. Now let's keep this going for the few remaining games. Agreed 100%, Ryan. Uh, and the Anime Stoner also says three points with a win over New York City. How could each... Hang on a second. I can't read. I can't do math and I can't read either. Hang on. The Anime Stoner, three points with a win over New York City FC. How would each a win, draw, and or loss at New York Red Bulls, cough, cough, New Jersey, make our playoff picture look um, and how big was this win? We kind of covered how big this win was a little bit earlier. Um, I think you really need a win. Uh, we, we talked about it earlier. You really need, I would say, 10 points, preferably more. Uh, but you're, you're probably realistically looking for three wins and a draw. So a loss really screws you. 
Um, a loss really means there's no more wiggle room whatsoever. A draw is okay, but then you really need to step up and really take care of your inferior opponents and, and win three games. Um, yeah, it's it's just tough because you have two two home games left on the schedule, and you need three wins and a draw. So I think if you can come away with a draw, that is the minimum bar here. Uh, but really, you need three points, and you really need to go in and give them a, a really tough fight. Um, so yeah, I, I a loss really is not a good sign and and i don't know I, i'm not i don't have high expectations right now for the playoffs if you look at 538 uh their projections they have the revs making the playoffs about 39 percent. i'd agree with that they have fc cincinnati at 49 percent um I, I think with some of the teams that are on fc cincinnati's schedule and the fact that their schedule is a little bit better uh, i i think you really need to go in and at least get a point against new york rebels i think ideally that would be the scenario is that at least you, you come away with a point uh, but as I said earlier, I, I think that there's two very tough games, I think, coming up on the on the slate. New York Red Bulls is one of them. The other one's going to be Montreal at home. Uh, hopefully, by the time the Montreal game comes around, Vrioni is back, Barrero is back, and they're playing. Um, and I would feel a bit more confident with those guys back and playing in front of the home crowd. And if you can't get that match done with all you guys healthy, then you don't deserve to be in the playoffs regardless. Um, so I'm putting a little less onus on this coming weekend's match uh, versus the Red Bulls, but I, the ideal scenario, oh, I mean, the ideal scenario, I think, is three points. Um, I think you should be happy with one point uh, in a hard-fought match. As long as the Reds aren't getting dominated um, and they come away with the point, I think you, should, you shouldn't you should be too upset uh, with that. But, I mean, three points would be uh, fantastic, and it would make the rest of the season a lot easier Um I mean, they've put they've put themselves in a tough spot. They have, they have, and and what's interesting too with Red Bulls. First off, Drew Yearwood is going to be out. He got red carded in this game, or sorry, in last night's game uh, against Philadelphia. So he'll be missing next weekend. But if you look at the Red Bulls too, and they're jockeying for position. They only have four games left. They're trying to stay in front of New York City FC, who has a game in hand. They're two points behind um, Red Bulls. Um, it looks like Red Bulls is probably not catching up to the two seed. So. You again. We have that New York City FC game. I believe they're playing FC Cincinnati. Maybe if FC Cincinnati wins, maybe the Red Bulls have a little bit of breathing room. Maybe they rotate some guys. I'm not expecting that, but um, it is kind of interesting to see how this standings and the playoff picture is starting to shake out. Uh, and yeah, I, I'm curious to see how Red Bulls play it, but I imagine they're going to want three points here, um, and they're they're going to try to beat up on the Revs. So I'm curious to see how this plays out. Hope for a draw. I think draw is the minimum expectation and the most likely result here for the Revs. Well, and the Revs have been that victorious in uh, three out of the last four matches against the Red Bulls. Of course, the only one time was earlier this season in Foxborough. So uh, hopefully the Revs can flip the script. The last two matches um, between these two teams, the away team has been the victor. So maybe that goes in the Revs' favor. And also, I, I shouldn't say the most likely result. I should say it's more likely than a win. That's what I meant to say mm. before before someone hops down my throat uh, and sends me the odds. So uh, the anime stoner also says, could you hear the fort from where you guys were? I was on TV, uh, so I, I don't know if uh, this person thinks we were in the press box. I did not hear the fort from the press box, but I heard them on TV. Uh, Chris, did you hear the fort on TV? I did hear it on TV, yes. Um, it's They got good microphones on the field, or maybe the fort was very loud. Could be a mixture of the two. I don't know. I heard it was very loud um, from uh, people on Twitter that had attended the game. So um, love it. Love to see it. Love uh, knowing that the the fort's rocking. Derek Terrell says, how do you feel about Gustavo Bo? Uh, is this him getting back on his feet after a long time out? Or could this performance be expected going forward? I didn't think he played too bad, just not a standout of the night. And also, I want to add Tim's comment here. Tim says, not a fan of Bo alone up top. Uh, he has a partner. When he has a partner, he can create magic. But playing alone is not his strength. Not much defending or hold-up play and can't make runs in behind. So I wanted to touch on those two, question, uh, two, two comments, questions back-to-back. Um, because I, I think Tim is kind of spot on. I think Bo as a lone striker, we've seen it before, even pre-injury, even, even before he was hurt. It's not a great fit. I think he plays a lot better when he's playing off of another striker. It gives him a lot more flexibility to run around. Um, 
the game before this, Chicago, we didn't really get to complain about this too much, but man, the number of times he was offside was absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if there was an offside trap going with Chicago or if Bo just had his timing off a little bit or whatever, but um, his runs seemed really off. Um, so I, I think part of it is he's playing a lone striker. Part of it is what Derek said. He's getting back on his feet. He, he doesn't have his rhythm, you know, in sync. Um, yesterday was a little concerning. It just didn't seem like he was able to settle the ball and get a decent shot off. Um, I, I think this is just a rough patch that you're going to have to force him to go through where you need him healthy. You need him playing 90 minutes. You can't have these must-win games with Justin Rennicks out there for 45 or 60 minutes. You need Gustavo Bo out there for the majority of the time. So um, I, I think it's good he got another 90 minutes. I, I think it, the other thing, too, is towards the end of the game, the Revs were pulling off players and kind of putting on more of a defensive lineup. Um, Gustavo Bo stayed out there for a full 90, um, which I think was probably needed. I think you needed – oh, actually, sorry. Bo came off in the 89. 89, yeah. yeah Essentially 90. But, you got him basically 90 minutes, and I, I think that you, you didn't pull him off in the 67th, 68th minute, which is kind of what I was thinking. That was when the first couple of subs came in. Um, you, you pulled him off kind of towards the end to kind of give him, you know, get him 90 minutes match fit, get him a little bit um, more accustomed to being out there. You have a full week of rest. So, uh, yeah, I think Gustavo Bo is struggling to get back into that rhythm, and I think when Vrioni comes back, um, we'll, we'll see him being able to – uh, do a little bit more, but yeah, I have not been encouraged with Gustavo Bo the last two games. You know, I'll I'll add that I think Gustavo Bo is a much more prolific version of Teal Bunbury, and uh, in saying that, it's just he's a very streaky player, and that's exactly how Teal Bunbury was uh, for many years with the Revs and SKC before that. Is uh, he would go on runs and uh, start scoring a whole bunch of goals. I think he's done it. Same thing for Nashville this year. He was injured and not really make much impact. He came back. He scored in four games in a row, and I think he's been pretty quiet since then. Um, Gustavo Bo is that same type of player. Uh, much more prolific, of course, like I said. He can score from anywhere. He can make anything happen at any time, um, which is an element that I think Teal Bunbury doesn't necessarily have. But he, he, we're kind of used to it uh, in New England, uh, having a, having streaky players like that. And you know, hopefully... Gustavo Bo gets things rolling uh, at the right time, and it is a little bit, I think, of getting his feet back underneath him, both um, uh, metaphorically and literally, as uh, we saw last night. But, um, yeah, I, I don't have any concern with him. Um, it's just it would be nice if uh, <laughs> if he was informed more more often, I guess. Yeah. He scored four goals in his uh, three games before injury. He scored five goals in the five games before injury. He has yet to score since returning in the LA Galaxy game. Um, yeah, not a very inspiring performance from him. And again, only two shots last night. I'd have to go back and look at the other two uh, games. You know, back when he first came to the Revs, he was getting five to eight shots off, only two shots last night. Um, I understand the Revs didn't have a ton of possession too. So I think that is... A lot of it, the Revs only had, what, 30% of possession? I'd have to pull it up here. But, um, you know, they they weren't in possession of the ball a ton. They weren't creating a ton of chances, as I said. I think they had 0.4 expected goals. Um, You know, this was a game where I think they were kind of playing to the score and playing a little bit more conservative. Um, I think... I don't know when. I don't think the Revs will be on the front foot against Red Bulls, but hopefully Bo gets a goal um, or gets at least some dangerous chances, so we can kind of reinstill his confidence. Because the last two games we haven't seen a ton. You know, and I think that's the thing is with Gustavo Bo, we haven't seen him. Uh, well, you mentioned too that he's not taking the the shots as often, but uh, he's been uh, locked down pretty quickly, especially in this New York City game. He didn't have a lot of great um, chances to to get off a good shot but uh, that could be partly on him not getting into the right position you look at um and i don't know if this is a good segue or not because i don't know what questions are coming up next but uh, you look at noel buck when he scored his goal in the 33rd minute leading up to that that was his third shot within eight minutes um the kid's not afraid to take a shot and that was his second shot almost from the same exact spot in the 25th minute he took a shot from essentially the same spot uh almost the same exact type of shot um and that one was saved by Sean Johnson. Uh, eight minutes later, in the 33rd minute, um, he got his goal. And it's because he's taken those chances. He's not waiting around or trying to to look to pass it. He's just shooting. And he we, he did it in the Chicago game, too. Terrible shot. He fell right over. Um, and I think it went out for a throw-in, um, a la Teal Bunbury, speaking of. Um, and 
the the thing is though, it's like he's taking his chances, he's taking his shots, and I think that's something that the Revs have dearly missed is a player that's just not afraid to just take that shot. And Gustavo Bo used to be a lot of that player, and uh, I haven't necessarily seen that so much out of him. Anyway, um, back back to the questions. Unless you have something else to add on that. No, no. I was just going to say, Tim also had a question. When's Vrioni back? Uh, or should we pair Bo with Renex until Vrioni is back? Or am I off base? I don't know about Renex. I think we've seen enough of Renex uh, that I think taking out a midfielder and putting him up top, I'm not so sure how you would kind of work that out. Maybe you go back to the Diamonds. But then, I don't know, so it'd be Polster and then Buck, McNamara, and Hill in the Diamonds with Bo and Renex. I, I don't know. I think you'd have to shift a lot of things around to make Renex fit, I think fitting in Vrioni would be worth the formation change. I'm not so sure about Renex. Um, but in terms of when Vrioni is back, word on the street is that he's coming back soon. Him and Barrero apparently um, are coming back soon. I believe I, I mentioned that earlier in the podcast. Um, potentially on track for the Red Bulls game, but we will see. I imagine, similar to Bo, when he's healthy, he's healthy, and they're throwing him into the deep water and hoping he swims. I can't imagine they're going to be you know, putting kid kid gloves on Rioni and Barrero here because um, they, they need all the points they can get. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Kennedy, Petro was man of the match for that point blank save around the 52nd minute. Wow. Which, by the way, that was an absolutely ridiculous save. I believe the expected goals on that shot was like 0. 0.6. Yeah, 0. 0.54. 0. 0.54. Um, that was absolutely ridiculous. That's like a save you see in FIFA that you'd think would never happen in real life. Um, and that seemed very, very casual. So, Well, and in the 13th minute, too, there was a 0. 0.52 expected goals shot from Rodriguez, who was alone and on net. And uh, Petra saved that as well. So, Absolutely insane saves uh, from Petrovic in this game. Uh, but yeah, man of the match, according to Mike Kennedy. Um, but Polster, Dewan, Tommy Mack, Buck, all deserve an honorable mention. Great team win. Um, Ken- Mike Kennedy also says, did the Revs play more direct than usual tonight? It seemed to work really well. Maciel's assist on Buck's goal was a great example. I don't know about uh, more direct. Again, they, had, they had so little possession. I believe they had like 36% possession. Yeah, 36% possession. Um, so I, I guess they played a little bit more direct because they were able to ease off um, and, and kind of put guys behind the ball. Whereas against Chicago, which I'll rant about here, <laughs> Chicago is kind of bunkering in and they kind of ran into that problem that, that we've seen so many times where the Revs just can't break down teams that bunker um, and they resort to crossing. I think they crossed the ball 32 times. And when you don't have an Adam Buxa um, or a Vrioni out there, um, it's who are you crossing to? It's, it's you know, Gustavo Bo is not that great at headers. Um, so they, they really ran into an issue where a team is able to bunker in and force you to make a play. And the Revs just don't have the offensive skill right now to to really make something happen. So, um, yeah, I, I guess that's my take. I don't, I don't know about more direct. Um, I'd have to really kind of look at some analysis that I did not do in our prep, which I should have done. Uh, but what they, they, they were able to get the ball through the middle for sure, uh, a lot easier than they did on Wednesday. So I'll say that. Yeah. And, and, and I don't think it was more direct either. I think they did a lot of holdup play. They, they were a bit quicker in their, uh, advancements, especially going down the flanks. Um, but a lot of times they, they would hold up and wait and, uh, it kind of passed the ball around when they had their chances. Um, and then it was a lot of uh, just whipping it in and seeing what would happen type plays. Or uh, like uh, on the on the opening goal for for John Bell, it was just what was that a corner kick where it just kind of fell and bounced around a bit and got lucky and John Bell just poked it in. Um, you know, it wasn't necessarily a, a more direct style of play. It was. Uh, I think playing direct and playing fast though is a good way for this team. Yeah, uh, I, I think I think waiting around and, and waiting to get inside, I think without Vrioni uh, is tough because I, I think Bo, you really rely on his long shot ability. And I think if he's the guy leading the line that's trying to get in behind the defense, um, that doesn't seem to be working right now. So uh, 27 long ball, 27 accurate long balls from the Revs, 43 uh, percent. Again, they were up to nothing. So I think stats overall is not a great way to look at it because. No. You know, again, you're, you're you're playing a little bit more conservatively, but I think Mike's overall point here is that the Revs would be more successful playing more direct, which I agree. Um, Porter says, outside of the goal, how would you rate John Bell as a left back? I feel like he made some costly mistakes, and if not for his goal, uh, we would be more critical. Uh, we'll start with with John Bell, and also I should add that Og uh, says um, this win is what we've been craving. Also, flowers to John Bell. Uh, so, Chris, why don't you give me your thoughts on John Bell tonight? Um, yeah, so I had mentioned that Rodriguez chance in the 13th minute right after the John Bell opener, and uh, that would not have happened if John Bell um, 
didn't miss uh, uh, I don't even know an interception chance something I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was but he just got blown right past and the whole entire right side of the field opened up for New York and they took advantage of it went in delivered the cross right into Rodriguez um, who obviously was saved by Petrovich and I was looking at that saying this is exactly what John Bell is going to bring you he's going to he's going to go ahead and score a goal a minute later he's going to um, his head's not back in the game. I don't know what it was. He didn't have the composure, but um, yeah, it, it was it was that sort of night for him where he would. Uh, thankfully, the rest of the night I guess wasn't as extreme uh, as far as the defensive side, but he had his ups and his downs. Exactly where he scored his goal, and then uh, a minute later, almost conceding a goal um, based on his uh, uh, missed play. Yeah, interesting night for John Bell. Obviously, he's going to get a lot of pl- applause for the goal. Uh, 7.9 foot mob rating. Uh, he did have his one goal on his one shot. 37 touches, uh, one tackle, one clearance, one interception, one recovery, two for four on ground duels. Um, believe he left with, he was cramping up, I believe they said on the broadcast. So he left yep. in the 83rd minute. Uh, I believe Ryan Spalding came on in placement for him. Interesting that Spalding did not get the start at left back, um, and John Bell did. I thought that was very, very interesting since Spalding's role on this team is basically backup left back. Um, very, very interesting that John Bell got a start at left back, which we've never seen before in in MLS. Right. I'll, uh, I'll add, I go- think John Bell had a, had a furious cross. Again, we're talking about there's no Adam Buxa who you're crossing to, but I did not expect that to come out of him. Uh, I hadn't seen it. And uh, that was pretty impressive. I still think, you know, to your point, I think Ryan Spaulding was a bit surprising that he didn't get the start. And I think Ryan Spaulding would have been totally fine um, as a starting left back for the Revs last night. But um, yeah, wow, what a what a what a cross on John Bell. Well, and, and John Bell was a left back in college mm-hmm. and converted to center back uh, in 2020 with Revs two, and then he was signed with the first team. And we haven't seen him play left back to my knowledge, in MLS. So it was a bit interesting to see him move to left back now after a few years of of playing center back. Um, but interesting to see Spalding not get the start at left back. Instead, John Bell goes out there. And also interesting that they moved Juan Jones from left back to right back, and A.J. De La Garza didn't get the start at right back. Um, I thought that was pretty interesting also, that they're moving Dewan, jo- moving Dewan across the field um, to, to start John Bell over... AJ De La Garza at right back. So I thought that was pretty interesting also um, because you would think that Spalding and De La Garza are your backup outside backs. But um, Bruce Arena said after the game that they made the decision um, Saturday to start John Bell left back. I assume that they were kind of training just to see how that went. Um, And also John Bell is a, you know, pretty strong defender. Uh, Mm -hmm. We've seen him play pretty well at times at center back. Um, and you know, I know we've kind of been speculating or I've been speculating with the acquisition of Christian McCoon, what is John Bell's role? Uh, so maybe they're seeing if he has a little bit of added versatility for next season. Uh, but again, very interesting to see him play left back. Didn't hate it. Didn't love it though. I think you covered it very well, Chris. Um, I, I imagine that Brandon by is back. Apparently he has a minor injury. I think they, they said that on the broadcast. Uh, interesting that Brandon by is out right now. Really not good timing for it. <laughs> We've seen minor injuries turn into something bigger. So full week of rest. Hopefully we have Brandon by back next week. Fingers crossed. Uh, Jennifer says fun game to watch. Uh, fun game to watch. Uh, Petrovic has my trust and Hey, now Noel buck. Great goal. Let's never hear the young buck comment ever again. LOL. Uh, I don't know if that's directed at me or something that was said on the broadcast, but I've been making young buck jokes for a while. Um, because specifically, there is a tag team in AEW called the Young Bucks, and so I've been making the joke uh, that um, you know they, they use the super kick. So anytime Noel Bucks does something great, I say, "Wow, what a super kick!" or something like that. So I've been making Young Buck jokes a long time. So I don't know if this is directed at me or the broadcast, but I can assure Jennifer and Mike Kennedy, who said that the Young Buck comment was cringe, um, that uh, I will be making Young Buck, Buck jokes. Uh, until he is like a veteran in MLS. So, yeah. Until he's starting for the next expansion side, following in the great Diego Fagundes' footsteps. Absolutely. Absolutely. And by the way, it should be noted that Kenny Omega and Nick and Matt Jackson won the AEW trios titles last night. So Sunday night was a great night to be a young buck. Those are totally fictional people as far as I'm concerned. Traeger says, how much better would Buck and ultimately the team be if Bruce Arena had played them before he absolutely needed to? 
We saw Buck start a preseason match, then disappear until about a month ago. If you're his therapist, how would you work through his trust issues? Let me handle this one, Chris. Um, Buck was hurt at the beginning of the season. I think a lot of people don't know this because a lot of people don't follow refs too. Noel Buck was hurt at the beginning of the season. And even then, I'm not sure where his role would have been. He wasn't an expected starter for this team. So he got a thousand minutes at refs too uh, when he returned from injury in April. But, uh, you know, he, he still needed to kind of work his way back from injury a little bit. Still need a little bit more time to develop and season a little bit. Didn't play in the U.S. Open Cup game, which I thought was interesting. They played Esmir. They played Ravino. They played Rivera. They seemed to play that the kids in that U.S. Open Cup game in New York City FC. Um, they didn't play Buck, which was notable, you know, for me, for someone who kind of reads through these lineups. I thought that was a bit interesting that Buck wasn't uh, in that lineup. Uh, so I, I think that his development might just not have been fully there, but he needed a little bit more seasoning um, before they were giving him first team minutes. And certainly with the players that left uh, Sebastian Legette, Arno Tristesen, uh, and a handful of players injured, certainly the opportunity opened up. Um, but I don't think that there's any issues with Bruce arena uh, in terms of, you know, Buck being upset about not playing earlier in the season and in terms of how much it would have helped the team, uh, maybe you could have played Buck over Captoom uh, when when you're playing that four two three one. But Buck is kind of playing a little bit more up, um, kind of as a winger slash inverted winger slash attacking central midfielder, um, kind of in that kind of roaming attacker role. Um, you know, I I don't know if he would have been right away ready to be a, a number eight, uh, kind of paired with Polster, but maybe that would have worked out. Um, so in terms of how much it would have helped the team. I don't think it would have helped the team at all either. Um, and I don't think it would have helped Buck's development because, as I say, he was playing at Revs 2. And his, his season at Revs 2 this year, from what I saw and kind of read about, wasn't any better than last year. So I think he needed a little bit of time to work his way back, uh, get some minutes at Rev 2. And, um, you know, he's certainly showing off his potential. And as I mentioned last week, I, I, some people think playing the kids means putting out weaker players to help develop them. I, I think in Noel Buck's case... I think he's certainly earned a spot, at least in the rotation, uh, when when everyone has come back. Um, but I, I certainly think that he is showing a lot of confidence, and he's made a real impact over the past month. And I think he's made two starts now. Um, I'd have to go back and check the game log. Uh, but we're still dealing with a, a small sample size here. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think it would have helped the team ultimately. And I think Bruce Arena has handled his development um, pretty well, uh, to be honest with you. So uh, I, I think I conflict the trigger a little bit here. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't think there's any issue with how how Bruce handled the Noel Buck situation. He's a young kid, and young kids aren't really going to get in their uh, first bite. And I think having him play down consistently in revs too is better than uh, sitting a lot on the bench uh, with the first team. And then a quick sidebar: you mentioned Sebastian Legette. Totally forgot that he was a uh, Revolution player, and now look at him uh, down in Dallas having the time of his life, getting all those assists. So uh, I guess kudos to him. But yeah, that was a wild time, huh? Yeah, five assists for Sebastian Legette. He now has 10 on the season. Two goals, 10 assists on the season. Um, you know, Sean and I were not pleased with that Legette trade. Uh, I, I still think you could have used him. Uh, but but getting back to Traeger's comment here about, you know, you, you didn't really need to play Buck until you absolutely had to. Well, I mean, looking at, you know, if you wanted to play Devil's Advocate here on the Legette trade, maybe he moved Legette because he, he wanted to get Noel Buck in the lineup more. I love that take. I love that take. <laughs> I think maybe we're giving Bruce Arena a little too much credit here, but um, no, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't think there's any trust issues between Bruce Arena and Noel Buck because Bruce Arena is giving him, giving him the opportunity to play. Um, I'm just looking at uh, Noel Buck's game log here. 27 minutes against DC United, August 14th, 22 minutes against TFC, August 18th, 25 against LA Galaxy, August 29th, and then two starts the past uh, uh, two games, 80 minutes against Chicago, 67 minutes against New York City FC. Um, so he hasn't gotten a full 90 yet. He's gotten 80 minutes against Chicago. That's the most he's played. Uh, previously, he was getting 84, 84, 82, 45 uh, on October 12th against Fort Madison. 90, 90, 90, 89, 90, 90. You know, that's what you need young guys to play. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't have an issue with the way the Revs have handled this one. And, um, you know, Esmir's gotten some shots and Rivera's gotten some shots. And I thought Rivera, you know, we, we kind of talked about this a few weeks ago. I thought Rivera certainly should be getting more minutes and I'm, I'm kind of surprised to see him drop down a little bit, but you know, the refs could be playing Rivera over buck. You know, I, I mean, it's uh, I think the refs gave buck a chance 
sprinkled him in, uh, saw what he could do, and they've really liked it. And he's now worked his way to be a spot starter slash rotation piece. Um, whereas Esmir, I don't think he really impressed as much, and he's a little more raw, and he's going to need a little more cooking down at Revs too. Um, I think Esmir is is going to go back to MLS Next Pro uh, while, while Buck stays, just because Buck is impressed a little bit more. I, I don't I don't think there's much controversy here. Yep, I agree with you. All right, Tim says the first time the Revs have had an ex- uh, an academy product Buck. Uh, to get excited about this is fun. Uh, it was also pointed out to him uh, by someone. Uh, Fagundes was also an academy product, and he said, "Well, first one since Fagundes. Uh, it's been a while." Uh, which it is. I don't think there's been anyone this exciting. Uh, maybe Damian Rivera, just because I remember when Damian Rivera was first signed, he scored two goals in a preseason game at Portland, um, and then he kind of went down to Revs two for a long time. And um, I think some people got excited about Rivera, but there certainly seems to be a lot of hype around Noel Buck. Uh, Chris, is this the most excited you've been about a Revs prospect in a while? The shade on that comment towards Scott Caldwell. <laughs> I can't believe it. Um, no, yeah. I, Caldwell's, Caldwell's also, uh, uh, I mean, when did he debut? I mean, it, it's been, he, it's around the same time as Diego Fagundes. Am I wrong? It, it was about the same time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think Fagundes was first. Um, but uh, whatever, uh, tomato, tomato, Noel Buck is absolutely a player to get excited about. I don't know if you, how you want to compare it because we've all been excited about players before. I was really excited about Justin Rennix when he was scoring for the U20, uh, world cup against France. Um, I was like, wow, we, this is a revolution player. Um, and I, he, I don't even think he was an Academy guy, but regardless, like, uh, we get excited pretty easily. Uh, about some young guys coming up uh something special about noel buck um i think he's a bit different and uh keeping my eye on him for sure one other thing to be excited about for noel buck though is uh his celebration song i mean some taylor swift i I don't know if you can go wrong with that i know there was a bent musket article now talking about everyone's celebration songs so um go check that out if you haven't already but yeah taylor swift i mean young kids coming in uh apparently he's a swifty Chris, can you give me your top three Taylor Swift songs? Uh, I don't know if I have those ready, but I do enjoy Taylor Swift and uh, yeah, more than I probably should admit. Well, I think that's everyone. Uh, I I, I think I think that's everyone. I'm going to go with All Too Well. Number one, I think that is a very, very underrated song. Uh, This is a really tough uh, question, to be honest with you. Because uh, there's so much to choose from, but uh, I'm a bit a bit of a hipster, so I'm going to go off the beaten path. I'm going to go all too well. Uh, I'm going to go exile because uh, I think that's a uh, good one. And then, boy, I don't know what's a. I don't I don't like shake it off too much. How about blank space? Blank space is a good song. Blank space is good. Twenty two is good. There's a, there's a lot of them. I mean, I don't know. This is now turning into a a Taylor Swift podcast, but um, yeah. I, I have not heard a Taylor Swift song that I needed to turn off, uh, which is weird because I listen to rock music. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%, except for everything that was on the Reputation album. That was just very bad. For the people that say Taylor Swift could do no wrong, uh, they have blacked out uh, that the Reputation album from their mind. No, uh, I, I really like that. Embarrassing. That, was, uh, that was a good album, and it was her really testing her limits. So, Oh, don't give me that. Question. All right. <laughs> I think we have more questions <laughs> we should get into. Seth says, is Tommy Mack the most underrated player on the Revs? I think Seth is just kind of stirring the pot here because uh, Tommy Mack is a very polarizing figure. Um, but Tommy McNamara has been playing fine this season. I think he gets a lot of undeserved hate. Uh, another goal uh, this uh, last night, uh, as you mentioned earlier, kind of crossed the ball back in the box uh, after hunting that ball down in the corner. He had some pretty pretty important plays. And, you know, I think he's the team's Swiss Army knife where he doesn't do a lot of things great, but he does a lot of good thing, a lot of things good. Uh, in terms of most underrated player, though, I think Brandon Bay doesn't get the love he deserves. Yep. I, I think last year Matt Polster didn't get a lot of love, and then I think people started talking about him nationally. Um, I, I think Tommy McNamara is a really good player, and I think most people accept that and accept that he has a, a, a place on the team. Um, but I think Brandon Bay is a really, really solid right back, um, and I, I just don't think he gets the the love uh, that he should. So I, I'm going to vote for Brandon Bay as the most underrated player on the Revs. Uh, Chris. Uh, who's the most underrated player on the refs? I've had a hard time trying to figure this one out myself. And I was kind of leaning towards like maybe Andrew Farrell, but Andrew Farrell gets a lot of love. He gets a lot of support from his teammates. So maybe that's not necessarily the answer, but I know from the fan base, he gets a lot of criticism and I can understand where some of it's coming from. But overall, I don't think he necessarily deserves it. But then again, I also don't know if he's 
underestimated or what was the the word that we're using? I don't know, but underrated. Underrated. Yeah. I mean, so I guess maybe that can go to Farrell. It was it was between Farrell and Polster for me. Um, and I think Polster doesn't receive the criticism that Farrell does. Uh, and I don't think it's necessarily just criticism. Uh, not all the time anyway. Sometimes he deserves it. He has his games. But otherwise, uh, yeah, Andrew Farrell was my vote. I will also say, too, when you talk to players uh, that we have on our interviews, Dewan Jones, branded by Justin Rennix, uh, those interviews are available in our podcast feed. So if you haven't listened to them, go check them out right now. Uh, but when you talk to those guys and you talk about what veterans are very helpful Andrew Farrell's name comes up a lot. Uh, and Justin Rennicks, we interviewed earlier this year. I was not expecting uh, uh, Andrew Farrell's name to be popped out since he is a forward. But he says that in between plays, he's helping you out with every, you know, little details and little things. And um, Andrew Farrell is a guy that makes his teammates around him better. So um, I think that's worth pointing out that uh, he does a lot of good things off the field, too. Mm-hmm. So Potentially the unsung like hero of the team, in my opinion. Might be the unsung hero of the team. Chris, we're out of questions. Uh, we covered a little bit of everything. We covered... Rev's playoffs hopes. We talked about Petrovic. Um, we talked about Noel Buck. We talked about Taylor Swift. We covered a lot of topics today. Uh, and this was a very, very good podcast. We slugged through. Uh, we're, we're a little overtired, but we made it. Uh, do you have any final thoughts before we depart here today, Chris? Yeah, there's one player I don't think we really talked about. Uh, Carlos Hill. Um, I thought that he had maybe an off night. Um, uh, he had some beautiful passes to Gustavo Bo uh, late in the match. And... Uh, those are what you expect from Carlos Hugh. Um, but he seemed to just, uh, maybe he, he wasn't getting the foul calls that he, that he normally gets. Um, he didn't officially, he got zero fouls uh, on him. He was fouled zero times, which I don't know if that has ever happened for Carlos Hugh before. Um, and he got one foul called against him. Um, so overall, I thought that it was a, a quiet night. He had 57 touches on the night, which is relatively low. I think for Carlos Hugh, um, he wasn't as involved as uh, you normally think he was. And I think New York City maybe put a lot of attention towards Gustavo Bo and Carlos Heel, which opened it up for players like John Bell uh, and Noel Buck. But yeah, I, I just think it's worth noting. We didn't really talk about Carlos. I uh, had no questions about Carlos. Nothing really to, to mention there. Um, he's obviously still playing incredible. I mean, I, I guess I brought him up briefly talking about Nacho, but uh, we talked more about his brother than we have about him. So uh, I don't know if that that means anything but um yeah just thought i'd I'd mention carly's heel because i don't know if you can go a full podcast without mentioning him also i ordered a carly's heel jersey and uh i need to make sure that i'm talking about him more more now because uh, i don't have adam buxa so um carly's heel it is i will say with carly's heel we didn't mention it but at one point he looks like he's expecting a foul call doesn't get the call And then is yelling at the referee, and that leads to a very big chance for New York City. I believe that was the uh, the one right on the doorstep there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a little concerned about Carlos Hill's body language because there are just sometimes he just has no interest in hustling back and playing defense, and that's something different from what we've seen in in prior years. Um, and there's a handful of incidents we talked about. There's the Charlotte game where he's screaming at Bruce Arena at the sidelines. Um, there's uh, you know the RSL game where he's uh, <laughs> very mad in his post game uh, uh, interview um, this year he seems a lot more on edge and a lot more frustrated uh, and his body language is a little bit concerning to me. So um, yeah, well, hopefully not just the yin to Carlos's yang. So uh, maybe, maybe that'll bring him some Zen calm things down a bit in the midfield. Maybe, maybe Nacho heel is the clubhouse guy that the revs need with the departure of Adam Buxa and Josie Altador too. Don't forget about him. <laughs> I don't know. I had to throw him in there, but also, yeah, more guys with the last name B scoring, and I'm like, Josie Altador maybe needs to change his name to Josie Baltador. And never mind. All right, this podcast has gone on too long. Josie Altador scored again this week, too. Edward Kizza scored this week, too. What about that? That's a name I haven't heard in a long time, and uh, good for him, I suppose. You know, the great product of Pitt. Um, yeah, good for him. Good good job, Edward Kizza. Uh, I don't think I have any final thought. Actually, I do have a final thought here. Uh, I just wanted to mention that on September 17th, before the Montreal game, the Rebellion is uh, celebrating Rebels in Business and will be having a Canadian food tailgate uh, prior to the Montreal game. All are welcome. Uh, there'll be poutine. Uh, there'll be a maple syrup dessert. It is available for all, and the food is going to be made by local businesses uh, that they are supporting. So I uh, wanted to just mention that uh, go check out the Rebellion tailgate before the September 17th game uh, against Montreal if you're going to the game. So I just wanted to give that a quick promo. I don't think we talked about that yet. So just wanted to mention that. Here oh, I haven't well. heard about that yet. Thank you for mentioning it so late in the podcast. 
Yeah, hopefully they're not uh, too upset that it didn't get any mention until the end. Mm -hmm. But everyone loves poutine. Everyone. Science. Please follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap and follow our Revolution Recap Instagram and Facebook pages. Be sure to follow The Bent Musket on Twitter at The Bent Musket and follow their work online at www.thebentmusket.com for year-round coverage. Also, be sure to follow our friends The Rebellion at The Rebellion on Twitter and go to anyrebellion.org to learn more about them and their September 17th tailgate with poutine and maple syrup dessert. And please also check out our sponsor, Galasso Kits, and use promo code REVSRECAP for 15% off your order. That is promo code REVSRECAP for 15% off your order. Make sure you are subscribed to iTunes or wherever you are listening to this podcast. And please rate and review us five stars. It helps people looking, looking for revolution content find it. We haven't gotten a review in four weeks, and the Re revolution's results have gotten worse in the last four weeks. We had a really, really solid run there where we were getting a review week, and the REVs were winning. And I think those two things are correlated. Yep. So if you like the revolution and you want them to win, give us a five-star review on iTunes. I think it's as simple as that. Mm -hmm. Again, science. Again, science. Uh, we will be back next week following the New York Red Bulls and hopefully another three points. Until then, thank you everyone for listening and go Revs.